I would realize that my daughter would just open these things up. She'd get the rare ones. She'd look at it for like 10 seconds and then they just collect dust in the corner of the room. She'd just throw them there. I asked her, I said, what do you do after you buy them? And she goes, well, they don't really do anything. It would be cool if you could bring it into your iPad and maybe play different games with it and things like that. And that was like a big light bulb moment. So her and I started talking about what that would look like. And we had this idea to create the toy of the future. I was like, here's this multi-billion dollar segment of the toy industry. And here's this thing that Fred's talking about, this NFT crypto kitty thing. What if we marry the two? Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and the brightest from the world of business, marketing, and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your career forward. My guest today is Will Weinrad. Will serves as the co founder and CEO of On Chain Studios, a company at the forefront of blending the digital and physical worlds to create immersive experiences for collectors. And On Chain Studios is a parent company of the project that started all Cryptoys. And Cryptoys is creating fun new ways to collect and play with digital collectibles, games, Playsets and much more. And I can't wait to dig into that story because I think three fathers here are certainly going to have a little conversation around blind bags. And Will co-founded Live Ninja, which was a chat and video interface. It sells into brands and want to interact with customers via the web. And after it was acquired in 2017 by Net2Phone, Will headed up the product there. And he built Cryptoys on the side. So we'll talk about side hustles until Web3 blew up in early 2020. He went full-time with Cryptoys and through OnChain Studios 2021 has not looked back. So let's dig into it. Let's pull back the curtain. Will, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you, Adam. Kevin, appreciate you having me on. Great to be here. Thrilled thrilled to have you here, my man. And yes, Kevin Logan Jr., my co-founder in, in uh, Probably Nothing Talent, host of the Immutable Mindset, will be joining in today for some color commentary and, and his words of wisdom here. So well, on this show, we, we love to talk. We love to hit the rewind button. We love to talk about where that entrepreneurial bug came from. And through our research, I heard a great story that back in the day, you and your buddy were building wrestling websites for your friends right. for a hundred bucks right. a pop. Yeah. Tell, tell us about that, man. Yeah. Um, so 13 you know, years I, old, man. Yeah. Basically, that's how it started. And kind of just through the, the, the passion and fandom of professional wrestling, um, you know, I got my first taste of the internet through America Online. For folks that are, you know, remember AOL, you know, I got my thousand hours of America Online via CD-ROM in the mail. And nice. That was my, you know, entry point to the internet. And, uh, you know, back in those Most times, this was like 1998, um, there was no social networks, really. There was no Facebook, MySpace, anything like that. So the, the way that you would express yourself uh, were these things called fan sites. There would be these, these free websites that you would be able to get like geo cities, angel fire, tripod, mm-hmm. free hosting sites back in the nineties. And if you knew a little bit of coding, you'd be able to create what is effectively your, your web page, your fan page. And web one you know, shit right there. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and you know, I would hang out in AOL. If you guys remember, they had these like topic based chat rooms that you would just hang out in. Um, right. so I would think pause for a second. What was, what was, your, what was, what was, this is going to be funny here. Let's pause for a quick second here. Well, what was, what was your AOL screen handle name? Kickass 12. Kevin, what was yours? Oh, no audio, Kevin. You're on yeah. mute. Kevin, what, what, what? Fat Cartman, P-H-A-T, Fat Cartman. Oh, <laughs> you ready for this, Kevin? This will be your mind. Mine was fatty com with a P-H. I was fatty com. Oh, that's pretty <laughs> so close. So we'll play with the fatty. So, Will, you're, you're, you're going deep down the AOL rabbit hole. You've had your fair share of AOL CD-ROM discs sitting around your house here. <laughs> like, you, you start building these pages. How, how did, like, you attract your friends to start paying you for them? Well, well again, I, I, was, I was hanging out in the wrestling chat room because they had these topic-based chat rooms, and I was hanging out in the wrestling one. And, you know, one day somebody says in the chat room, they said, hey, can somebody make me a, a fan site? You know, I'll pay them 100 bucks." And to me, I was mm-hmm. like, I know how to do that. That's pretty simple. You know, I'm pretty tech savvy. I could put a website together. So I reached out to the person uh, via instant messenger and I said, 
hey, happy to do it. I can make you a fan site. And he's like, okay, awesome. Let me know your physical address so I could send you the money. And because there's no PayPal or anything at the time. No, I was about to uh, ask that. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm a 12-year-old kid. I'm like, oh, it sounds good. Here you go. It's like, you know, uh, <laughs> here's my, my, my address, which probably doesn't Seems sound safe. very smart. But, uh, you know, <laughs> two, three days later, I get a crisp $100 bill in the mail. And I'm like, holy crap, I got to learn how to make websites. Uh, so I asked my mom to drive me to Barnes and Nobles, uh, and she, she did. And there was only one book at Barnes and Nobles at the time on HTML. So I took HTML that, for dummies. That, that, yeah, basically. I basically took that book home and opened it up, and I started line by line making this website for this guy. Amazing. And it looked like absolute garbage. Um, but lo and behold, I delivered it to him, you know, uh, after the weekend. And he's like, oh, my God, this is great. I love it. Thank you so much. So I went back in the wrestling chat room. I said, who else would like a wrestling fan site? I charge 100 bucks a pop. And then five people were like, yeah, sure. I want a fan site. I want a fan site. I'm like, holy crap, 500 bucks. And then that's, that's when the bug bit me. And then uh, I would, I would be able it. to make the websites. But I, I, I struggled on the front end design side of things. So I, I got a buddy of mine uh, who I knew was just a great artist uh, back in our seventh grade homeroom class uh who was drawing uh different forms of anime and brought him to the house and i said look we can make money doing this web design web development thing and we partnered up and so that's uh, immediately after that i'm like this that's when the bug bit me i'm like i want to do this i want to I want to be, you know, I want to be an, I didn't even know what the word entrepreneur was at the right. time, but I wanted to be an entrepreneur without even knowing the word, you know? That's, that's so crazy. So you never had thoughts like when you were growing up, maybe before that, like being like a doctor or a fireman, like some Yo, typical no, no. like up kid shit right point, there. Oh, up until that point, I wanted to be a baseball player. That was for sure. Like big, a baseball uh, player. big time, you know, baseball Marlins were, you know, a, a relatively new team in Miami because yep. the expansion in 93 so I was going to a lot of Marlin games. I just wanted to be a baseball player because, again, I'm not – I can't dunk or anything like that. And uh, I'm not very fast. Though baseball was, seemed quite, you know, semi-realistic. So I was like, I want to be a baseball player. Um, so that was my big thing. And then, so, uh, then entrepreneurship, <laughs> you know. Came, so you, you, are, you, are you a purebred Miamian? Miamian? Born and raised. Born and raised? Yeah. I, I, I love it. You and Randy, yeah. right? Those are two – Randy Wolfson Adamo. I, I absolutely love the. What's it, what was it like growing up in in, uh, in in Miami, man? What's it like childhood in Miami? I mean, that place has gone through some evolution, revolution, bit of everything. Yeah, it has. Um, it was a very different city when I was growing up here. Um, you know, it was. It, was, it, it kind of felt like a little bit of a sleepy town, to be quite honest. Uh, especially in Miami Beach, you know, you still had a lot of people that have moved here, like retiree kind of thing. Yeah, the city was built on transplants, you know. So you had a lot of like northeastern transplants that moved here, and um, the city, I think, was still finding its identity a little bit and transitioning from like a place where you vacation into a place where you can put roots down and have families. And you know, my. I think everybody that's in our age, you know, who's now like roughly in their their 30s or late 30s is typically like first generation of these transplants that have moved down here. So like my mom was from my mom's from Israel. My dad's from New York. So, you know, I'm first generation Miami. And um, but you're starting to see more and more like a lot of my peers and my friends are people that are born here in Miami. Um, and now the city is incredible how much has changed just in the last 30 years. Um, the city is a very forward thinking, very modern city. A lot of, obviously a lot of investors have come here and built a lot of the infrastructure just, you know, where we're based right now is Wynwood, which is like the art mm-hmm. center of Miami, a lot of graffiti and really good energy. And then around the corner from here, you have the design district, which basically looks like Asia to me. Mm-hmm. It's like Singapore. It's crazy uh, with really high end cool. shopping and, and, and an amazing urban feel. Um, so yeah, yeah very I felt different. that. You, you feel you feel it when you're down there. I mean, I, I have a deep love of Miami. I, I call it my second home here. But let's let's bring it back. And there's a gap I want to talk about between starting these wrestling websites and 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 Live Ninja. What, what happened during that time that kind of led you in the trajectory of full time building shit entrepreneurship? Yeah, I mean, there was really no master plan. Everything just kind of like happened. Um, so I did uh, the, the wrestling fan sites. And then uh, I obviously started getting very tech savvy. Uh, was you know known as the, the the computer kid in my community. So started off as 
you know, my mom's friends. Oh, you know, hey, I don't know. My computer's not working. Can you tell Will to call Will? Will fix it. Over? Yeah, and basically, I would just turn it off and turn it back on, and it would magically work. And I'd be like, I fixed it. You know, pay me. Um, <laughs> so I became like Fuck the you, computer. I, I became the computer kid in the neighborhood. Right. Um, and, not a bad thing to be now. Yeah, and uh, <clears throat> and then uh, there was a, a new site that was popping up at the time called eBay that was just being launched. And everybody was kind of interested in eBay and they were a little weirded out by the online auctioning and how it would work. But I happened to get really proficient. Yeah. I had to get really proficient with eBay and learning how to market and sell inventory on it. So I started consulting for mom and pop shops around Miami on how to take their, their physical backroom inventory that was just sitting in the warehouse and liquidate it on eBay. So I became kind of like an e-commerce consultant as like a side hustle job. Um, And and then I did that for a couple of years. I went off to Florida State University because, you know, that's what you do. You go off to college. That's what mom and dad say you should do next is go to college. Gotta go. Um, and I stumbled across this idea um, in, in college. And the whole idea behind it was, uh, you know, this was back when there was the Barack Obama, John McCain election. And the, uh, the hot button socioeconomic topic at the time was the unemployment rate. How are we going to fix unemployment? So it was John McCain and Barack Obama always debating about how they're going to boost the, the numbers and get people jobs. Um, and I thought to myself, you know, the way that our generation works is very different than the previous generation. Like Obama and McCain are talking about construction jobs and how to boost those numbers. But folks like us, we're consultants, we're advisors, we're media content creators, we're musicians, we have all these different skill sets. Um, and, uh, and Skype had just launched, Skype was a you know voiceover IP application where you can make virtual telephone calls. They just launched video chat as a feature on Skype. Now you can do video on Skype. So I was like, oh my God, you know, here's these two old politicians that are, or older politicians that are arguing about yep. solving unemployment. What if we use technology like Skype to allow people to create virtual offices where you can, you know, hire people virtually? So I was like obsessed so with this the curve, idea. Man. I was obsessed with this idea, and uh, it just c- couldn't get out of my head. So when I c- came out of college, I got a job, you know, in my family's insurance company because you know we had some some connections there. But on the side, I was really focused on building this platform as virtual video chat for hire platform. And, uh, and that's what I did, you know, that I eventually quit, you know, the insurance industry and dived headfirst, put together a prototype. I outsourced some of the development work and and that was the start of live ninja. It was called something different at the time, but, uh, you know, through pivoting and iteration and then bringing in my co-founders, um, started raising a little bit of, of seed money for that in the limited, uh, seed investment market that was at Miami at the time. There wasn't much, but we hobbled together a few 25k checks and put together a team and there you that's go. how the company got started. So so let me ask you this early, early, early days of a founder, what was one of those tough lessons learned the hard way? The first punch in the face. First punch in the face. Um I mean one of the big boys come and try to stomp you out early, you know, did you think you had something going and then you it didn't go the way you wanted. I mean, there's so many lessons. I think the, the, <clears throat> the first thing that, you know, you have to realize is, you know, the, and I wouldn't say this was a hard lesson. I think it's just a lesson that I learned over time is at first, when you create a company, I think a lot of people are like very close guarded to the idea. They're like, Hey, can you sign an NDA or Hey, you know, don't want to tell you about this just yet. I'm working on something. It's in stealth mode. And, Da, 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 da. And everybody's so worried that people are going to steal their ideas. And it couldn't be more meaningless. Uh, honestly, everybody has great ideas. Uh, but there's a difference between having an idea and the execution of the idea. And that's it separate. Mm-hmm. There is, I would say, 99.999% chance that I could share an idea with a room full of people. And one of those people will actually go out and execute that idea and run through the 50 brick walls that you have to run through (laughs) to make that idea come to fruition. Cause it's not like, Oh yeah, that's a great idea. Let me flick a switch and create that same idea. Like creating a company is like so brutal and so taxing and bringing a product to market is like, you have to put all of your 
life force and energy into willing it into existence. The, the, the concept that you will share an idea with someone and they will take it and do something with it is almost like slim to none. But conversely, if you share your idea with everyone, serendipity happens and beautiful things start to happen where, you know, I could, you know, say like, hey, Kevin, Adam, I have this idea for so-and-so. And you'd be like, yeah, you know what? I know a cousin that used to be in that industry. Let me put you in touch with him. And then all of a sudden that leads to five different intros. And you want – so my whole thing is when I talk to a founder or I'm, you know, having, you know, coffee with one and they're asking for advice, I'm like – and they're like, I haven't shared it. I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm like, share it with as many people as humanly possible. They're not going to have the same passion as you to build it. No. No, no. definitely not. Definitely not. Look, building a company is brutal. Uh, Elon Musk says building a company is like chewing on glass and staring into the abyss. <laughs> and that's basically what it feels like, you know? Um, you know, the, in the same talk they asked, well, Elon, it, it, what words of encouragement would you have for uh, entrepreneurs? And he goes, well, well, my advice is if you need words of encouragement, you shouldn't be an oh, entrepreneur. Yeah. I love you it. Know? Couldn't, because be, couldn't be more you, true. You know, like you, you can't, you don't, you shouldn't need to motivate someone to, if they need that passion inside of them, that's self-fulfilling, right? Because the world, and this is, you know, unfortunately the truth, a lot of the world is out to kill your startup. You, you know, when you put your, your, when you put your, your ideas out there and you put your, your energy out there to create something new, you're going to disrupt a lot of people. You know, there's going to be competitors that are like, who is this? You know, what, what happened here? Or all of a sudden there's business models that you're going to disrupt and, there's a lot of energy that's coming against you. You need to have so much passion and so much conviction and so much enthusiasm for that that you need to be able to wake up in the morning after being, you know, figuratively punched the day before. Mm-hmm. Wake up in the morning and be like, "Today's going to be a great day. Let's get after it. We're going to make this happen." And you can't manufacture that. You can't. You can't. That can't be from an external source. That has to come from within. So um, share that. Share your your ideas and your passion as much as possible. I remember with Live Ninja. I felt that that same way because I was, you know, a rookie entrepreneur. I was like, hey, I don't want to really share my ideas yet. And then I kind of crossed the chasm and all of a sudden I started sharing it. As soon as I started sharing it and people started asking questions about it, I was like, oh, that's right. I never thought of it that way. That's really good. And I started writing down all their ideas and you're crowdsourcing your blind spots. Exactly. You're you're, you're basically crowdsourcing your blind spots. And and it goes back. And and Kevin, I feel like you want to chime in in a second here. It's the, the abundancy mindset, right? Which yeah. I think is really leading the way as we go from, let's just call it Web 2 into Web 3. Yep. It's, it's the abundance. Kevin, did you want to jump in on that one? Um, you know, it's, I mean, I literally posted about this today. You know, if, if, you have to, if you have to search for an external source for your motivation, your inspiration, your enthusiasm, your excitement, then I, I don't think this thing is for you. But the reality is you don't even understand that until you've run through 25 brick walls, until you've had those scrapes and bruises. So, you know, the, the part about putting that information out there for the world to find is, is this. Again, because we've gone through it, we know that most nobody is going to listen, but the special people will find you to tell you, yeah. yo, what you said put me on a path and this and that, because I've done it and people have done it for me. So it's... Yeah. It's to, to, to your point, Adam, it's amazing when you live in abundance and realize that these thoughts that come to your head will continue to come to your head until your last days if you actually have a skill set and are confident in that skill set. So why not give it to the world? Why not allow them who you know is not even going to take it anyways not to have that information? It. Yeah, they're not, they're not, they're not, they're not going to do shit with it. So, well, like the story's out there. You built, you know, you build up Live Ninja. Let's talk about this, the, the, the sale, the, the sale of it uh, to mm-hmm. Netophone, right? So you sell it, right? Um, was that a easy, logical decision? Was that a tough decision? I know because we're, we're going to get to it. You were building cryptoys on the side at that point, right? Like, was that being like, all right, now I'm going to go all in on this. Let's make a move. Like, uh, let's unpack that. No, that, that actually, the cryptoys came much later after we sold Live Ninja. Uh, so when we decided to sell Live Ninja, um, we were at the point of the company where we were looking at a few strategic partnerships. There were some strategic investors that wanted to invest in the company. And it was like one of those kind of fork in the road decisions. So we continue to operate independently and raise more venture capital, or should we, you know, put this inside as a home into a, a larger company that could, you know, help us achieve some of the things we wanted to do. And we chose the latter and, um, 
it was a good strategic fit. We were introduced by some mutual contacts at both companies and we made that happen. Look, uh, Cryptoys didn't come till much later after we sold, uh, you know, uh, Live Ninja to, uh, to that company. And I thought that was 2018 that you started thinking about Cryptoys. Yes, correct. And we sold the company in, in, in late 2016 and was announced in early 2017. Okay. So, um, and, you know, this was very much uh, cryptoys was a side project uh, that I, I I did in my nights and weekends with my daughter. So you know it, you know you have you know your your normal nine to five, but then you're able to you know work on your passion projects and things like that. And all it really was was a passion project. It wasn't a company. There was no incorporation. There was no formation. It was just a hobby, you know, and something we wanted to build together and effectively built started building it with. Uh, with friends and, and, uh, you know, eventually, um, we were able to incorporate the company years later, but before it, it was just like a, a hobby, uh, kind of platform that we wanted to build as for our kids as what would the toy of the future look like? Um, and, uh, and so we just did nights and weekends in our off hours. Hey everybody. I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Let's rewind for a second here because I I love the Genesis story of it. I have Mm -hmm. 5-year-old son, 11-year-old daughter for context. Mm-hmm. Kevin's got two little ones, as oldest as the same age as my boy. Um, both of my kids, this blind bag, freaking fetish, it like, yeah. it's crazy. It's crazy. I spend more money on all these different blind bags, and they're insanely <laughs> egregious cost than anything. But yeah. I understand the thrill of it. You're paying for the experience. Sometimes right. they get lucky and they get something pretty cool, but most of the time they're getting a piece of shit, right? And I try to tell that to them. But this is what they want for their birthdays. He wants the lanky boxes. He wants all the other things that he's opening up there. Was there the one epiphany when your daughter was opening up the blind? Talk to us a little bit about the genesis of the core idea. Yeah. So um, this whole blind box phenomenon caught me by surprise, too. At the same time, I I kind of understood it from a consumer perspective because I was a big right. baseball card, basketball right. card. You don't know what you're getting in the packs. Box. Exactly. So to me, it's the same concept. It's like opening a box exactly. of cereal and you're, what's the toy inside the cereal? It's the same thought. Also, Kinder Eggs. Remember Kinder Eggs? Right? Mm-hmm. Still, Still around, five. man. Mm-hmm. Right? So my daughter just got obsessed with it. And, you know, the bug bit her, you know, uh, you know, pretty quickly. And every, every time, hey, dad, like, Hey, sweetheart, what do you want? It's always, I want an LOL surprise, or I want a Hatchimal, or I want a Shopkin. Or like, it was all some oh, iteration the Shopkins. of... Shopkins? Yeah. When you step on those, by the way, they were terrible, yeah. the Shopkins <laughs> ones. They right into, they're worse than Legos, yep. Yeah, so it was like an iteration of that experience. So at, after a bit, I'm like, man, this is a phenomenon. So I started doing research mm-hmm. on... Because as an entrepreneur, I was curious about you know how they have people were marketing and productizing it. it. Made a lot of sense to me because effectively what these toy companies did was they were leveraging YouTube and the unboxing phenomenon of YouTube. Mm-hmm. You know because YouTube has a big subset of unboxing videos, so they were doing that as marketing. And uh, there was articles written in the New York Times about it and, and how it was such a big hit. And so I was like, okay, this is super interesting. What a unique trend in the toy space, a multi-billion dollar segment of the toy yep. industry. And then at the same time, uh, I follow a venture capitalist that I highly respect. His name's Fred Wilson from Union Square Ventures, you know, early investor in Twitter, Tumblr, a number of others. Um, and he has a blog called abc.com. And I subscribe to his blog. So I get his emails. Every time he does a blog post, I get an email. Uh, in my inbox. And he, he does a blog post one day talking about this new concept called crypto kitties. And he writes about crypto kitties and why it's interesting to him. And then shortly after that, he in- announces that he's investing in the company that's doing <laughs> crypto kitties. And he's like, this is this company called Axiom Zen, but they're renaming to Dapper Labs. And they're super interesting what they're doing. This is why I like crypto kitties and it's my collectible digital item. And here's this thing called an NFT and why NFTs are, are interesting technology. And for me, 
it was like, oh my God, this is really interesting because I grew up a baseball card comic book collector. Mm -hmm. I collected hogs back in the day. Oh, yeah. Uh, I then got into my hobby after comic books and, and baseball cards became video games. So for me, this was the everything I loved about being a collector. Amalgamation. Now on the digital side of my love for video games, here is the, at the intersection. And then I was like, oh my goodness, there's another part of this Venn diagram that's my daughter's obsession with these collectible toys. So we started talking about it and I would realize that my daughter would just open these things up. She'd get the rare ones. She'd get the whatever ones. She'd look at it for like 10 seconds and then they just collect dust in the corner of the room. She'd just throw them there. Go into a bucket like my kids have. So one day she said something. Well, I asked her, I said, what do you do after you buy them? And she goes, well, they don't really do anything. And she, she makes a comment. She'd be like, oh, it would be cool if, you know, you, you could put, you could bring it into your iPad and maybe play different games with it and things like that. And that was like a big light bulb moment. So her and I started talking about what that would look like. And we had this idea to create the toy of the future. And so basically. How, how old was she at the time? How old was she at the time? Of this she was around six years old at the time. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so, so I was like, here's this multi-billion dollar segment of the toy industry. And here's this thing that Fred's talking about this NFT crypto kitty thing. What if we marry the two? So, so that was the idea. And, uh, you know, we, I, I brought it to, uh, to Emilio and Alfonso and it was like, Hey, let's, you know, let's, let's moonlight this thing, right. We'll build it with our kids and just have fun with it. It's just like, you know, just building a project and enjoying it. Um, and, uh, and that's what we did. And really nobody cared about it, like outside of us from 2018 to 2020. And, you know, I'd, I'd go around Miami. I remember very, very viscerally, um, because, you know, we just sold the company a couple of years before that. And, you know, folks would ask me out to lunch and like, what are you doing? What are you up to? Uh, I'm, no, I'm well known in the Miami tech scene because of Live Ninja and all the things that we did. So they'd be like, well, you just sold Live Ninja. That's awesome. What's your next move? What are you going to do next? And I'm like, well, I don't know yet, but let me show you this digital panda that I'm working on. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, uh-huh. I'm like, mm. it, it lives on the blockchain. And they're like, uh-huh. <laughs> sure, bro. It was like, again, one of those moments where they're like, these digital pandas, are they in the room with us now? Can you see them? Like, are they sitting with us here having lunch? It's Will, just Will's like, a, Will, Will, Will's a shapeshifter. Yes. Will did, those, a, uh, did, th- did those early reactions give you like more energy and excitement? Like, oh, okay, I'm going to show you. Or was it was there a little bit of dis- early discouragement? I think there was a little bit of both. I think there were times as an entrepreneur, you're like, oh man, who am I kidding with these digital pandas? <laughs> and then, then there was some that were like, I can get it. Yeah, my my kid plays Talking Tom all the time. It would be awesome if Talking Tom was a collectible. Like like so people, some people would understand it, but the most important um, you know validators were our kids, and our kids loved it. You know, our kids were really excited by it. So we're like, as, you know, even at the end of the day, if it's just something that brings us closer to our kids and shows them that you can create something out of nothing. And if you have an idea, you could bring it to life, then it's worth it. And that's, uh, that's all the validation we needed to, to so, push through. And then, yeah, it was, it was very much a thing. a thing on the side for a little bit. And then, you know, obviously the NFT, you know, market woke up in a big way in early 2021 and we were able to, uh, Just a little bit. make this a real company. That's crazy. How much of the, I, I know you talk a lot about Roblox in, in some past podcasts, but let's talk about like how, like, was that like the, the case study? Was that the proof in point that people are paying fiat for digital shit? Yeah, I think with, with Roblox and, and Fortnite and Minecraft, the real thing that, that we see there is how the play patterns change for different generations, like the concept of playing, right? Like when we were kids, we would play with toys. We would sit on the ground. We would, you know, interact with them in, that, in various ways. Um, and then you see things that are occurring now. And, and I think it, it's pretty well known. Hey, kids are getting their first iPad at four years old these days, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, you know, what are the play patterns that that allows, you know, kids to have? And you might see, like, I'll, I'll just speak for myself. When I saw Roblox for the first time, initially, I was like, my kid is playing a video game like I was playing GoldenEye back in the day mm-hmm. or Mario. But I quickly realized that it's actually very different. Uh, it's not a video game uh, in the traditional sense of the word. 
what he's doing is he's doing something that's more akin to an after-school social activity, uh, just in a virtual environment. So as opposed to it's like, yo, Adam, Kevin, like when, if we were kids, come to my house and we'll play and you know we'll do all these things. This is more so like meet me in this area of Roblox and we'll build a fort together, and then we'll invite other people to it, and then we'll design it. This so their their engineering minds are active, like they're building like a Lego sets, but then their social minds are active because they're communicating the entire time. They're on FaceTime with each other and they're communicating. So it's very social and it's just showing that this feels is, like this virtual Dungeons and Dragons. It's kind of like that in a sense. Yeah. So for, for us, you know, we want to embrace these new play patterns in a new way, in an exciting way. You know, we're really creating a category. Cryptoys is the first digital toy company. There's never been a digital toy company before. Um, so we're really trying to you know, own that category and, and embrace how these play patterns are evolving and Fortnite, Minecraft, Roblox really usher in just that that medium of how kids are playing different ways these days. And and how do you ensure of keeping this a, a something that us dads and parents out there are like a safe yeah. space for kids? Both, something we both think about safe a lot. in the current sense and safe, and safe as far as like, are we, is this like a nurturing, positive educational environment and we're not just making them slaves to the screens with the algorithm. Yeah. It's something we think about a lot. Um, and you know, we're, we're really focused on doing everything in a COPA compliant way. You know, we're working with the ESRB on different ratings and trying to be rated an E for everyone. We have, uh, a patent pending on our version of guardian controls. So that will allow folks that are over the age of 18 to add sub accounts like Netflix style. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and yeah, that that's going to be really helpful. So you'll be able to invite your child onto the platform and be able to create an account under your account and be able to monitor in different ways. And we were able to do it in a very thoughtful way so much so that we're like, hey, this is really robust. Let's submit it to the U.S. Patent Office and see if we get a patent for it. And then, uh, you know, we were like, nice. hey, it's a long shot, but they replied and it, it's patent pending as we speak. So that's a big focus for us. Nice, is nice, first, nice. Uh, that gets a little applause there. So yeah. I got to ask you forward, forward forward momentum here. How how has the 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 negative effects of thou who not shall be mentioned and other uh, you know bad actors and the negative PR in the Web three NFT crypto space affected your forward progress? You know, it's 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 maybe surprising to some of your listeners, but like it hasn't much. I would say that the brands that we work with and the the partners that we have are still doubling down in this space. They still believe in the space a lot. Um, the biggest thing that we can do, and I think is healthy for the space is we're trying to eliminate speculation and, and investment from the conversation of a consumer product experience, right? This whole space to this point has been financially driven. It's been about making money, making money, making money, which leads to inviting people into the community that has, uh, you know, not the best intentions. They're all there to make money. So what we see this as a reset, if you look at Cryptoys as a platform, you know, I'm sure a lot of people, they buy Cryptoys and they hope that they can, you know, make money off of them. And, you know, again, more power to folks that do make money off of uh, the platform. Certainly, you know, buying and selling and trading is a big part of digital collecting and, and, and our platform will have those aspects too. But you start with just a consumer product experience. Like if you were to buy a toy, if you were to buy a game, you, you want it to start with that and enjoy it for what it is versus what the value of it may be. So for us, we actually really embrace a, a reset in that regard. When NFTs are $20,000, $30,000, forty, like... That's not an environment that's conducive for a digital toy company that has NFT infrastructure to thrive in because the only way this space goes mainstream is you, if, it's not by having one NFT that's worth $50,000. It's having 50,000 NFTs worth a dollar. That's the only way that this, 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 this space goes mainstream is it has to be accessible and people need to be able to collect it easily. So, you know, we embrace it and I think our partners do as well. I mean, well, yeah, I was say, on that one. Well, <laughs> well, just even even from like, you know, like we're we're talking about gaming being like this next all the trust that's going to do everything. Who the hell's buying NFTs at five dollars a pop? Or you know, like for this, like there, there's going to be so many of these little items, right? For our kids, for for parents that absolutely aren't going to want to spend thousands upon thousands, right? And and that's 
that's why I think it starts to make sense where NFTs as a collectible, as as that 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 NBA card that I used to get to open up the like that's where to your point, right? When you have that transactional relationship, that's all it'll be. And so yeah. you won't build community. You're not you're not you're not building a real audience. You're not building a, a real consumer. Exactly. You're just building somebody that's there to transact and make money. And it's that relationship where that person's going to evangelize cryptoids to their friends, to their family. And then I think it's real, really word of mouth where we're really going to grow out of this and then start to make it make sense to the mainstream. I agree. So yep. it's interesting. I, I, I look at the the naming of your parent company, OnChain, OnChain Studios, and I keep hearing OnChain. I had Jesse, I interviewed Jesse Pollock at, uh, at Beacon, and all he talks about with base is OnChain, moving from online, the vernacular, to OnChain. Online art, OnChain art, online music, OnChain music. What, what, is, what does that mean to you, OnChain? Let's talk a little bit about the the genesis and where you see things going. To me, on chain, it, it really gives consumers uh, transparency and confidence that if you're if you're thinking about an ownership based economy and, and proving to people that they actually own something that's digital that they can't physically hold in their hand. On-chain allows for that transparency to happen. It shows provenance in an item, who's owned the item previously, who's getting, who got it next, et cetera, um, to know if there's a thousand Darth Vader's out there, that it is only a thousand. And we're not just saying that it is, that here it is. It is transparent. Um, and the other aspect of, of being on-chain is that it's, uh, you know, it can live on if the company, you know, the centralized company for whatever reason ceases to exist. So like, you know, the, the equivalent that I'll give you, cause it's decentralized. Um, the, the physical equivalent is like, if you remember the very first baseball cards that were ever created, were not made by baseball card companies. They would be made by tobacco companies, companies right? right? Tobacco. Yes. Yeah. Right. The, the cigarette companies, tobacco companies, et cetera. So they would be, you know, collectibles that you would get with your cigarettes. Now, of course those, companies no longer exist right now but that means that the collectible still lives on and it's still a piece of history so if for you know for whatever reason any nft platform that mints something uh that has perceived value the 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 question will always come up to the consumer's mind well what if something happens to the company well with the blockchain it can live on independently on the chain regardless of if the company's around right so right. we're not talking about the value of it but the actual digital asset is still, that's correct, still right. there on chain. As a collectible, you can still have it no matter what. And that's really important when you're talking about serving the collectibles market, that this can always exist regardless of the centralized company that makes it. So as much as you can, I mean, you have you have relationships and deals with two of the biggest, I mentioned Disney, Mattel, right? Like these are, these are big boys, um, the biggest out there. As much as you could share, like talk to us about those conversations with the executives that might have a little bit of a hurdle that you need to push over? Or are they partnering you because they know this is the future? I wouldn't say there was much of a hurdle as far as like, you know, Web3 and blockchain and consumer products and the evolution. I think they're, they're already there or else they wouldn't be on the phone call, right? Um, so they, 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 they already had that lean in to it. Um, the biggest thing is, is why us? Why cryptoids, right? It's like, if you could have, if you're a company of that stature, there's thousands of companies that want right. to work with you, right? So why us? And you know that's yeah. when we come with really firm belief <clears throat> in the product experience that we built. We think our art is best in class, um, and, and, and it stands up to anybody in the industry. And then we really believe that's why you know we double, triple, quadruple down on toys. We're a digital toy company. We're not an NFT platform. We're not, yeah. you know, all, all of this fifteen different things. We are a digital toy company. So, you know, Focus. one of the things that Mattel told us early on when they saw the product, they go, Hey, listen, well, we get pitched by hundreds of different NFT companies. Nobody gets toys like you guys. The whole experience is very toyetic. So I think people see that and they can see it through the lens of, this is a digital toy company and we're making digital toys versus, Hey, I'm an NFT company. Let's talk singular about singular focused. Yeah. Very, very focused, you know, instead singular of singular focus, we don't want to be a mile wide and an inch deep. We are focusing a hundred percent on digital toys and being the best in that regard. And that is sound advice out there. So what's keeping you up at will night at will what's keeping you up at night in this space? Well, 
the the things that keep you up at night, I think, when, when you're building something that's very innovative, that you think is innovative, that you think is forward thinking, is are we too early? Right? Like, there's no doubt in my mind that 20 years from now, this is going to be the future. The question is, um, where are we on that adoption curve, and can we catch that wave as it ramps up to the next 20 years? Right? So, if you were to create Uber. Uh, in 2000 or 2002, Uber is not going to be a success, right? It's very much the idea has to match the timing, has to ma- match the technical infrastructure, right? You had to have GPS-enabled mm-hmm. phones in everybody's pockets. There had to be infrastructure for Uber. To the thrive. stars have to align, right? Yeah, stars have to align. So I think the things that keep me up in that, I know our product thesis is sound. I know we have the best partners in the world. I know we have the best investors in the world. We have an incredible team, best team in the world for, for this particular product. Uh, the question is, is, is the mass market ready for it or are we too early? I would say I'm still confident that the mass market is ready for it and we're going to make a lot of waves here hopefully in the next few years. But as an entrepreneur, I'd say that's the number one thing that, that always keeps you up at night is, uh, is is the world ready for it or or like just like Live Ninja. If I launched Live Ninja during COVID, there's no doubt in my mind it would have been a humongous company. Just no doubt in my mind. I just happened to oh, launch being it. that the other products weren't around. Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. the other competitors, right? Right. And, and, Zoom and, or it, right. Exactly. But, uh, but again, Zoom doesn't have, didn't have all the bells and whistles that Live Ninja did from a monetization standpoint, a calendaring, you know, built in calendaring and listing and directory. But, you know, we launched it in 2014. It was the first uh, public launch of it, right? So timing is everything. And, um, you know, we, we we feel confident we're on the right trajectory with cryptos. But if you ask if something's in the back of my mind, what keeps you up at night is just making sure we're doing this the right way in the right order and, and hitting the, the timing of the market correctly. Kevin, do you want to jump in there? Well, I think, I mean, that's that's why you're going to be successful, right? Like, I mean, look at the lessons of, I mean, geez, the ICOs to the NFTs, like, you know, it's it's a nascent technology. So you're going to have your speculators, your people that are going to jump and, and run and sprint and do all these things and break things. Yeah, It's, you know... There, there's there's nothing wrong with that. That's great. But at some point, you, you have to get back to, you know, the foundation. And so I, I like that you've gotten back to, you know, digital collectibles, again, not using buzzwords that are inclusive to us, meeting them where they're at, meeting, you know, your audience where you're at. We're, we're not speaking to the 1% of people that are here. You're speaking to the 99% of the people that are probably going to be involved in this space five to 10 years from now. So, right. you know, I think we just do a lot of these this stuff backwards in, in the NFT and Web3 in terms of marketing where we're speaking to the 1% versus the 99. You're doing a fantastic job doing to the 99. So I appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate that. Man. Thank you. So, Will, as we bring it home here, you mentioned something about building the best team. And the core of this show and the core of what Kevin and I do is recruiting and building teams. So two questions. Yeah. One, what do you look for when you're hiring folks in this space? in the Web3 space, and what advice would you give to someone trying to break into it? So what I look for, uh, first and foremost, is is energy and passion. Uh, you can't fake that. And when you're when you're in a new space, like Web3 yeah. and NFTs, like, you know, there's no such thing as five years experience in this space, you know? Um, so when I'm meeting a potential team member or a new hire, it's about, why are you here? Why in this meeting? What about this excites you? Like, tell me about like why this is your perfect job, why you would love this job. And you can, you can't fake that. If that's authentic, you will know. Um, so, so that, that is my number one indicator because it's such a new space. Like I want somebody that loves coming to work, you know, and enjoys it and gets excited. And, and, you know, the advice that I would give uh, for people that are breaking into the space, I think, the, the this is not just advice for people in the space in general, but just I think for anybody that wants to make an impression on either folks that are hiring or, or you know their direct reports or the people they report to, be on offense a hundred percent of the time. Don't wait for things to come to you. Oftentimes people are in their job is like, who's asking me for something? I'm waiting for someone to ask me for something. The biggest people, the people that I love working with the most and the people that I'm always like, how do we keep them? How do we retain them? What do we can do to make, you know, them, what do I do to make them happier are the people that are constantly on offense. They're like, Hey, Will, I had this idea. Can I get a green light to go after it? Or Hey, Will, like we should do this. We should do that versus like, Hey, um, excuse me. 
can you update me on this thing? Like you can do that, but that gets taxing. Sound, play offense, sound advice. Yeah. If you could play offense, you're going to set yourself apart from the crowd. So that just, I, I look for people on offense. I love it. And and what projects outside of yours are, are kind of catching your attention these days and getting you excited? Yeah. So I throw some love around. Much, I'm very focused on platforms that are trying to market to people that are not in the space yet. That's for me, the biggest thing is how do we kind of cross the chasm into mainstream markets? So I have massive respect for what Gary's doing with V friends. I have massive respect for what Luca's doing with pudgy penguins, what Julian and the crew are doing at doodles. So like we're kind of all in the same mode of like, how do we make this a mainstream brand and bring more people to the overall space? So I would, I would highlight those three to start really, you know, love those projects and I love the teams behind them as well. Fantastic. Kenny, Kevin, Kevin, Kenny, that's weird. Kevin, any, uh, any final questions or thoughts for Will before I bring it home here? No, again, I mean, I, I, you know, you've, you've, you've touched on it plenty of times, you know, from afar, um, you know, of course, is our first time meeting, but I, I sincerely do love what you guys have been doing because I've, I've caught the messaging. I've caught that you aren't playing the NFT game. You're not playing the Web3 game. You're, you've realized to be smart about it and to, to, you know, to hearken back to exactly as you said, what, what, what did we do as kids when it comes to the collectibles, when it came to our love for, for those things, the, like the process, I'm a, I'm a sneakerhead myself. Right. So like everything you talk about is like when that box comes, all I do is open the box. Oh my God, it's amazing. And then I throw it back into with all the other boxes. So yeah. it's, it, it'd be nice to like what artifact is doing, right. Having a digital representation of that. You've just done that same thing with toys for, for anybody that's involved in that. Like you've just unlocked a whole new set of experiences that, that would never be you know possible before and then add some ar and what's happening with the future uh-huh. of technology and other emerging technologies and then what you're doing becomes so incredibly interesting for my six-year-old and my two-year-old who are growing up with this exponential technology and yeah. and being able to to actually you know be a part of it and they themselves can start creating some of this this stuff themselves so just again really love what you're doing love love the whole piece of it how it's an experience for the whole family and it just, yeah, it really harkens me back to, to childhood. So there's a lot of nostalgia there. I appreciate that. Thanks, Ben. It's good stuff. So, Will, let's, yes. let's, bring, it, let's bring it home here, Will. And as an entrepreneur, father, businessman, what's, what's that superpower that you have that makes you just so incredible at the things you do? Um, first of all, I'm a relentless optimist, uh, for better or for worse. I always believe that things can work out if you are honest, you try your hardest, and you put good vibes and energy into the universe, that the universe will give that back to you. Um, so every time I jump on a call, every time I hit compose on an email, every time I start writing something, I always think for the best possible outcome every single time. I assume I assume <laughs> success every single time. Um, and it allows me to take the jumps and, and to be... Um, you know, pretty like on offense, like I said, like I assume, uh, that there's good reception and good vibes and good energy and a positive outcome on the other side and everything that I do, obviously that will, will not happen all the time because you can't control the other end. But every time I write an email or make a phone call or jump on a zoom or jump on a podcast, I assume success every single time because I want to put myself in that mindset. Um, so that's one. And and then I, I don't get involved in things that I don't have 100% conviction on. Um, because like, just like I, I said, with, with the, the recruits that I look for, you have to have sheer enthusiasm. I look for that in myself whenever I take on a project. So like, I, I can't fake excitement. I can't fake enthusiasm. So anything I choose to do in life, I just have to be super stoked about it. So that coupled with relentless optimism, um, you know, has, uh, you know, has worked pretty well and I'll continue to try to follow that formula. I love it. And, and this has been a fantastic episode. And for anyone listening out there, this is the mindset, the the action, the way to be a successful entrepreneur. So last but not least, Will, you look back on, on your life and your career and those moments when, when it was tough, right? Those moments when you had to dig down deep and harness that inner tenacity to pull you up and forward. And the same moment in the same breath right now, you look back and forward with gratitude, respect for this life, this family what you're building out there that's going to hopefully change lives and, and continue to build your life and your legacy. Will, what is your compass in life? What is your beacon? What is your North Star? 
I want to change people's lives for the better. I want to make them happy. I want to brighten up people's days. I mean, you know, at, at the end of the day, I, I, I walk through life and I have interactions with my kids, with my, with my wife, with my friends, with my coworkers, with my customers and every single interaction, whether that's a light interaction or, or a deeper interaction, uh, I want to either make someone smile, make their day better, help them in some way and create positive ripple effects. So if I'm doing that on a consistent basis, I feel in flow um, regardless of how small it is or how big it is. Um, so I just want to continue being a positive uh, factor uh, as I walk through life and as I interact with different folks and as I build companies and products. And if, uh, you know, right now I can't tell you how much joy I'm getting people uh, are interacting with the product and filming unboxing videos with their kids and sending it over to me. And it's just showing like 60 seconds of their day at the computer, just the, the smiling and bonding together over the product. And, uh, if I, if I'm able to, on the other side of the world, make another person on another side of the world, smile and have a moment with their child that makes them happy. I'll, I'll rest my head pillow. Uh, uh, I rest my head on the pillow at the end of the day, uh, feeling satisfied. So I'll do that at scale. That is how you do it. That is how you do it. Thank you, Will. This yeah. has been awesome. Left Thank us with goosebumps. Spe- Thank you. Goosebumps. Yes. Thank Everyone, you, if you want to find out more, check out cryptoys.com, C-R-Y-P-T-O-Y-S.com. Will, where else can folks find you? Where can they connect? Where can they learn more? Yeah, cryptoys.com for, for the website. And, and me, I'm on Twitter, uh, at Will, or X, I'm sorry, I'm on X, uh, at Will Weinraub. Uh, and LinkedIn is always good. Uh, those are probably two best places to hit me up. Well, awesome, man. I appreciate you. Thank you for spending time with us. Kevin, thank you for joining me today. And everyone at home, if this show meant something to you, leave a review rating. It goes a long way. Sharing means caring. You know where to find out more at thepodcast.com. Follow us on all the social media channels. Remember, take care of each other. Look out for one another and catch us next week for another great episode of the podcast. Take care, everybody. Wisdom is forever. But for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon, jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The Pausecast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com.